Jim or Jimmy? I've been saying well, Jimmy, but, but everybody else seems to be saying Jimmy. I've called a lot worse than that, I can assure you, many times. <laughs> I'll go with Jimmy. I'll right. go with Jimmy. Would the fans know well, Jimmy? Well, they, Jimmy? They definitely called me a lot worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's Get not... off, one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but yeah, you, you don't. You're not. You've not been fully accepted as a Kilmarnock player until you've had that, right? <laughs> In episode thirty of Kelly Histories, we hear from a hugely popular figure whose Kilmarnock story dates back some fifty-five years. Player, coach, and a whole lot in between. I'm Gordon Gillen, and this is Jimmy Clark. So let's start then, Jimmy, please, with your varied and long-term, like long-time involvement with Kilmarnock. When you watch a game, Mm -hmm. are you looking at it from the viewpoint of a player or as a coach or can you just watch as a supporter? That's a good question, actually. Very good question. Mm-hmm. So it is. Thank you. I think initially I watch it as a, a fan, but I, I do tend to watch it as well, a coach, I must admit. But I'm always looking for as a fan because I want my team to do well. Do you find yourself... As a player, do you look for players in the midfield, particularly for their performance, or, or or does that not come into your thinking much? No, I tend to watch all positions, really. And you obviously can't watch all positions at the same time, but whenever the ball goes, you tend to watch. You know, if the ball goes up far, I'm, I'm maybe watching what the, the defence are doing or what the midfield's doing, or they got up behind the ball quick enough, that type of thing. Or the back four close the game up well, or whatever. And obviously, it's it's of particular significance when in, when I'm talking about the coaching side of it, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on mm-hmm. in terms of your distinguished coaching career with the club as well, and your your involvement in that side of things. But again, thinking about in general your involvement with the club, what is the appeal of Kilmarnock Football Club for Jimmy Clark? Well, I've been brought up. I mean, the, the earliest memories I've got the club is. It was actually my mother that took me, took me to the football when I was like four or five years old, so it goes way back. That's a long time ago, that's in the 50s. One of the earliest memories I've got is Kamala playing hearts and a cup tie and Billy Muir crossing the ball and they beat 2-1 that day, I think, in a Scottish cup tie. So that was one of my earliest memories. And that's, that must be about 56, 57, something like that, maybe 50, around about early, but middle to late 50s kind of thing, you know. That's one of my earliest, and that's when, I mean, that's way back. So it is. And so that means that you'll have seen, I think that with the team from 1965 that gets so much attention. Oh, I was at that game. You were at the game? Oh, I was at the game, yeah. All right. Can you give us a bit of, for, for somebody who, who wasn't able to kind of experience it? Oh, it was magnificent, honestly. I mean, actually, some of the memories I've got of that is, I mean, the, the whole kind of build-up from weeks before that, I mean, Dundee were actually one of the, the best teams in the league that season. Dundee came to Rugby Park and beat Kilmarnock 4-1, probably about six or seven weeks 
the fourth end of the season and then went to Tencastle a couple of weeks later and beat Hearts 7-1 at Tencastle. You know, so it was a, the run-in was amazing. So it was. But to go to Tencastle and win 2-0 when they needed to win 2-0 was brilliant. Absolutely. And to be there was... I mean, I've got great memories of Kamala. Obviously, winning the league, winning the cup, and winning the league cup. I mean, I've, I've actually seen the, the actual theatre and been there at the theatre. So it's been absolutely great. I'd made an assumption, because you're so synonymous with the club with Kilmarnock, I hadn't realised that you joined the club just short of 26 years old, as opposed to being coming through at 18, 19. No, no, no. I mean, I was... I've always been a Kilmarnock fan, but it was, it was later in my career. It's something you've talked about previously in terms of leaving Stirling, Stirling Albion. And you've gone on record saying you had a great time at Stirling Albion. Oh, a great time I did. But you left over a pay dispute, and this was at a time when clubs held all the power. Yeah. You had said, that the chairman I think it was, had said... It was a manager, actually, Bob Shankly. Aye, Bob Shankly. Well, he had said that there was effectively a very real prospect of you not playing football again. Yeah. But you stuck to your guns. Yeah. What does that say about you to be able to do that? I can be quite stubborn at times, you know. It's, yeah, I can be. You know, I'm kind of set in my way, shall we say. I mean, I found that very hard to do because I love playing football. I absolutely love playing football. But I, do, I can be quite stubborn at times. I know that myself. If I think I'm right... Can't be quite stubborn. And you'd have gone through you would have Yeah, I would have uh, I'd have hated myself, but I thought I was right. What was your thinking in terms of how likely did you think it would be Sterling Albion would stick to their guns? Oh I, I thought they'd made up their mind that was because when I got the the phone call the Shankly actually phoned me on the Thursday night. He phoned me a couple of times before, but he phoned me on the Thursday night to say that if I didn't sign, uh, if I didn't come back to pre-season training, that he put me out of the game. I said, well, I'm not coming back unless I get... It was over nothing, by the way. I just wanted the appearance money put in my basic. Because I'd been injured the pre previous season, I'd, I'd missed a, f a number of games. And it would have actually cost me money at the start of the season. Because you, got, you were playing uh, three times a week, you know. And it was over absolutely nothing. What would Sterling Albion's reason be for not agreeing to that request? He wanted everybody. I can see. I can see his point too. By the way, he wanted everybody in the same. He didn't want, and I can see that point as well. I just thought, no. Remember, I had travelled up and down that road for five, six years. No. I, I didn't know Kilmarnock had made an inquiry. I, I found out later that Kilmarnock had made an inquiry and were, had a bid in, but he, he never told me that. I never knew that. And honestly, to this day, people will say, oh, you knew that. I didn't know that. John Burke was kind to give me a little bit of time for this, this series that's coming yeah. out. Um, well, it'll be into next season, but you know the series that, that, is, that I'm recording at the moment. Yeah. And he had a similar story with Dundee United. Yeah, yeah. But to me, it seems, but then I think of well, quite well known, Paul Clark, Derek McDicken, yeah. approaches from other clubs that they never, never found, out, found out. Yeah. And I just wonder, as a player, in that time when yeah. clubs were so strong, yeah. how happy or unhappy would players be generally 
at the way clubs held so much of the of the power. I, I think it's it's swung too much the other way now. You know, I, I definitely do. I think that the clubs had too much power then, and the players have too much power now. There's a happy medium in there somewhere. You know, there definitely is. You know, it's but the, the, the clubs definitely had too much power then. You know. The positive side, the very, the very big positive, is that you were then able to play for the club that you, as you've already, yeah, yeah, without a doubt, yeah. But as I say, I didn't, I honestly didn't know that Commander were trying to sign me. I heard you talking, Jimmy, with Ian Sherry of the Commander FC Supporters Association, and you had talked a, little, a bit about the part-time status of the club and the importance of part-time status. It has been a bit of a recurring theme in the Kill History series, talking with Paul Clark, Derek McDicken, George Maxwell, this idea of part-time, but you said something that I hadn't heard mentioned before, which is specifically in the winter months, combining playing yeah. with work made it quite a challenge. Is it still enjoyable to be a footballer in those months, in those circumstances. It's always enjoyable being a footballer. I don't, you know, and the argument against that now is our both actually, you know, our both yeah. are doing magnificently well. You know, so that they are kicking my argument right out the window at the moment. So they are. But I, I always felt that when we got to February, that it was starting to get down a bit. I, I did. You know, it was hard being part time. But as you say, the enjoyment was always there. Oh, just yeah, harder oh, to. Yeah, yeah. it's harder. It was harder. You were working all day and then training at night. And then it was especially hard if you'd a, a cup tie or something, you, you were away up at a broth or something like that, and then you're getting home a bit later, and then up for your work in the morning. And then, I mean, I, I found that hard. We played, uh, when I was at Stirling, we played Aberdeen in a cup tie on a Wednesday night, and we come back and we could beat 2-0. And I had to try, drive uh, back down Woodford Stirling. I didn't get home at 2 in the morning. It was a Wednesday night. And because we could beat two, you know, they never they weren't giving us a Thursday off. We were back in. So I was working the next day and then back up Stirling, driving back out to Stirling, five o'clock, drive up, I cut them back down the road again. So it was hard. To make that kind of commitment, it has to be something that you're oh, you enjoy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well you do it you don't do it for the money, I can assure you, isn't it? Big money at Stirling. It's the big money come on. <laughs> <laughs> In 1978-79, it was a last home game of the season against Dundee, Dundee yeah. where effectively a win was needed. Yeah, that's correct. What does it take as a team to get the results when it's this do or die match? I mean, I was just looking at, I was, I was just talking to my, my wife that night. Funnily enough, my son was born that night, so he was. Ross was born that night, and... It was, you're right, you're totally right, it was a game we had to win, we had to win that one, we had to win the Saturday game against uh, Dumbarton, at Dumbarton, and uh, Clyde Bank, because the league was really tight, so it was, I think Dundee won the league by a point, and uh, Clyde Bank and us were level points, because they could have won the league if they won something like 9 nothing, and they had a game to play, is that correct? They had a game to play, uh, after right. us, I think they, they played on Monday or something, or the Wednesday. I think it was Wraith they were playing, but they had to win by nine goals or nine nothing or something. But we had to beat Dundee. And we, to be fair, we played really well that night. It was a right good atmosphere. But Dundee were on a bad side. 
as a supporter, you like to think at times that the support does make a difference. Yeah. And the fact that you've mentioned it there, that the yeah. support was really good that night. Yeah. What difference can it make? Oh, I th- I, the support makes a huge difference in for any team, any team. And I, I, sometimes the, it, it definitely affects the players. You know, when confidence is a huge thing in football. You know, and see when you make a mistake and the fans all boo you, and the next time you get the ball has a, an effect on you because you're rather than being sharp and moving the ball quickly, you take that extra bit of time and the the pass you want to make shuts down and you get caught in it. So it's, it's a huge effect. You need the fans behind you. You definitely do. I would like you, please, Jimmy, to describe yourself as a player. Slow. Okay. <laughs> 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 uh, not particularly, you know, I thought I had to move the ball quickly so that I didn't get caught in them. You know, so I, I tended to try and play, when I got the ball, I, try, I tried to move it quickly so that I didn't get caught in them. You know, so I would play, I would try and play first, a lot of times I would try and play first time passes, which didn't always come off. <laughs> so I, I didn't think I was that good a player, I've got to be honest. You know, all I did was I tried my, I tried my best. <laughs> you know, I wasn't quite, I wasn't big. So I had to move the ball quickly. You know, because I, I didn't want to get caught in the ball. Because I wasn't the biggest standard. <laughs> So small and slow, okay. Yeah, I'm not going for me actually. Well, I'm going to put it to you then. That was when I have spoken with several of your teammates, including Paul Clark and John Burke. I'm paraphrasing them here, but John Burke said something along the lines of game intelligence, and Paul Clark cited the fact that you would be a player who'd cover, you'd give that defensive cover as well. So I think you're maybe being a little bit modest <laughs> in terms of, of the yeah. way you've described yourself. Yeah. But I wonder then, you talked about John McMaster being one of the oh, toughest that, opponents that, you came yeah, up against. Yeah, he was a good player. But you cited the fact that he was, it was that kind of technical side and he was he was good at... Yeah, I think it was a... I found him really hard to play against. Because he had a game intelligence that, and it was such a good long pass of the ball that if he stood off him, you know, that it can pick passes but if he went tight he would play one touch hard to play against what type of player did you like playing against people are slower than me <laughs> <laughs> no I could run my, my strength was I, I, I could run all day yeah. you know I could go up and down the park and I, I, I probably when the ball moved I always think you should see when the ball move you've got to move right away you can't stand and watch you've got to move so that probably gave me a bit of an advantage over players who were quicker, who maybe watched the ball moving. So that gave me probably half a yard over. But the guys who were quick and also read the game quickly, they were always having an advantage over me. You know, that's where I would maybe gain a wee bit in the guys who didn't read the game. I, I probably read the game not too badly. Mm-hmm. You know, that gave me a wee bit of an advantage <laughs> so over some players. <laughs> So you've given yourself a wee bit of praise there. (laughs) (laughs) Apart from that Dundee game, is there a game where you personally think that you had a really good game or a run of games or even a season? I think experience helps you. As the years go on, you learn. And it's a thing I've learned even through the coaching and watching players that uh, see when you watch a player when he's 21, 22, 
He's a far better player when he's 28, 29, because he learns the game. You know where to run, you know where to go, you know where to stand, you know when to stand, when to run. You know, so that it's just an experience thing that makes you a better player. So, so you're a better player as you get older, if you're, I've got a bit of intelligence, I would say. As I mentioned earlier, you came into the club 25, going on 26. Yeah. So you were quite experienced as a player. Yeah. What was that dressing room like to come into in your stage of your career? Yeah, I found it quite, uh, most of the guys were great. And most dressing rooms are great. You know, you, there's always, uh, not come out to be fair, but always it's, there's some players you don't go on with. But I go on with most of them. I didn't particularly go on with David Proven, but he left quite quickly to be fair. Mm. You know, I always, he wasn't there that long, but I never really got on with him. To be fair, he was, he was moving anyway, you know. I didn't like the way he, he did it. You know, because he, he didn't turn up for a game, you know. And the bus was waiting and waiting and waiting. And, but he was, he was obviously going to Celtic and didn't want a cup tie. So if it was a bleak cup tie at St Johnson, I think it was. And he didn't turn up. So I didn't like the way he, he done it. Because he kept the rest of the, the players waiting and just didn't turn up. And I thought that was, was the night. I mean, me who hung about for it must have been 15, 20 minutes and the bus waiting and coming. Yeah. And that's wrong. It's not just the team selection, but there's the whole preparation side as well. Get it. You don't want to lose 20 minutes here. Get it. Is there a player in the team that you felt was maybe undervalued? I say this to everybody. I think the fans undervalued Stuart McLean. Mm. I do. You know, <laughs> yeah, Stuart was, he would always take the ball. You know, Stuart was always there and... A lot of times he would take the ball and people wouldn't take the ball off him. And Stuart was left in the ball. Yeah, and so he got caught in the ball and the fans would all, you know, as fans do, he's the one that's caught in the ball and oh, boo, boo. But they don't see the one, he's took it off somebody that's in trouble. You know, so he was underappreciated in that sense and he was a good player. Stuart was a really good player. You know, and he, he always played David Cooper well. He always gave David Cooper a tough time, and David Cooper was a, obviously a really talented player. What was it about Stuart's style of the Stuart didn't, he, didn't he, I mean, the fans didn't like, that reason the fans didn't like Stuart so much was Stuart when they'd go and, go and crunch people, you know, he'd be stand up. So David Cooper was, as I found to my cost, <laughs> like people to dive in him. Yeah. So uh, Stuart would stand on his feet, stand on his feet and make you beat him. So if ever David Cooper came up against Derek McDicken, for example? Yeah, I think Derek would jump and so would I. I would slide yeah. out, you know, and you'd lean your backside. <laughs> but Stuart, wouldn't he? Stuart would just run along, jockey, 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 beat me, beat me. Mm-hmm. You know, Stuart was a good player. For all that the much-referenced part-time status hindered 1970s and 80s Kilmarnock, this was not a team to sit back. An attacking mindset and numerous coveted players led the team to some memorable results. No more so than on the turn of the decade, season 1970-1980. Defending champions Celtic, eventual winners Aberdeen, Rangers and emerging force Dundee United all succumbed to Davies Nettons and gutsy side. First year we come up, we did really well that year. A win against Rangers with a, a yeah. Jay Clark scoring one of those. Oh, that's right, I Bobby Houston crossed up. I don't know what I was doing in the box that day. 
But I usually get noiseblades when I get in the box. Well, we'll talk about the noiseblades in a minute, because <laughs> that's another question I'm going to be asking about. But, um, <laughs> at times, it was tough for Kilmarnock in the Premier League. Yeah, it certainly was. But that season was a good season. Yeah. This wasn't a one-off result. There were lots of good results yeah, that season. Yeah, there was. What was it about that team that worked? Well, actually, we're on their bad side. If they'd, if they'd been full-time, they'd, they'd have better, because you've every day to work in... And, and to be fair to Bobby, if that team probably had the same time at coaching and working on the defensive, because when Bobby was there, we really worked on the defensive side of it and get being organised in that side of it. You know, that team had the same kind of time and working on that side of it, but probably done better. They'd have been better organised defensively. Because you don't concede goals, you don't lose as many games, obviously. When we look at the players that played in that team, and this is something I'm using my not personal first-hand knowledge, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the stories that you hear from supporters who went week in, week out. The quality of that team is undisputed, that mm. there was really good quality throughout that yeah. team. Were Kilmarnock, as a club, quite lucky to have been able, well, not lucky because we know the power yeah, dynamic, yeah. but Kilmarnock, as a club, did well to hold on to so many good players. Yeah. Following season, the direct bad season, but... Alan McCulloch, who was a tremendous goalkeeper, broke his ankle at uh, Kaplow, uh, the boy Thompson Dunham. They had actually two good young goalies, but they weren't ready to play first team. I think, to be fair, David Snedden had tried to get, went to the club to get an experienced goalie in, and they said, no, the two young goalies are there. And that probably ruined their careers. They get flung in, and they lost, I think, when again they lost seven, and the other game they lost eight. You know, and that, that probably set their careers back. And the reserves have been doing really well, but it was just too big a step at that time of their careers. When you got a couple of hammers, that sets you right back. Because I remember when we were in the Premier League and we went to play Dunfermline, and we beat Dunfermline 6-0 at East End Park. Although it was weeks and weeks for the end of the season, that's really the, the one that put Dunfermline down, because that shattered their confidence. So that's what it does when you got to do it. It shatters your confidence. The playing career into the coaching career. Mm -hmm. Bobby Williamson joined the podcast from, from Kenya mm -hmm. a few months ago. He said something very interesting to me. He felt that his biggest mistake of his entire career mm -hmm. was not taking you as his coach to Plymouth Argyle. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Why would Bobby think that? <laughs> By the way, the, what actually happened was the, the threes were gone and then... Uh, Paul Sturrock had moved I'm trying to think where he moved Southampton I think it was and he was taking John Blackley with him and John, then at the last minute John Blackley Southampton says no he, he couldn't come so John Blackley I think it was he had to stay so there was only around the three years going there's only two and I said to Paul he says take care of me I had, I, we'd actually been down and I had met the guy and I didn't trust the guy. I'd met the guy and I didn't get a good vibe of mm. the, the chief exec. Mm. And I said, take care of me. I, I didn't fancy getting down there anyway. Yeah. So he says, I can only take uh, one. I says, take care of me. So I've no regrets about that whatsoever. Absolutely none, can I assure you. Well, let's think of Bobby Williamson, Jimmy Clark and Jerry McCabe as a trio, a coaching trio. But we, we got in good, honestly, we got in brilliantly and it, it just worked. For whatever reason, it just worked. What do you feel that you brought 
to the coaching centre. I think we all contributed something, you know, it, it just worked for whatever reason. It just worked. Pat Nevin, he gave you a lot of credit for the on-the-field technical side of the coaching. I've heard you talking about the, the cup final, the the set-piece that won the mm. 1997 Cup Final. Yeah. Where would your ideas, obviously you'd be doing your coaching badges, but yeah. different coaches see things in different ways. How would you come up with an idea for a set piece? I think you've always got to have something in your mind that what will work for set pieces. You know, set pieces, are, have all, to me, have always been really important. You know, and you've, you've got to have ideas in your head to move people and have people get into areas you think can affect the game at that time. You know, and, and luckily it, it worked in the final. It worked before that, it just it might be more noticeable because it worked in the final. Who in the squad, and I'm talking about you as a coach, did you see make improvements that maybe surprised you or just really impressed you? Honestly, I, I get so impressed by people who just give you are so honest. See, likes the Ali Mitchells and the Mark Reillys and the Caddy Hawks. They're never going to be the best footballers in the world. But you know, see, for the first minute to the last minute, we ever in the got every game they play. They might not be the best player in the park, but again, you everything they've got. And it's the same in training for them. Ali Mitchells is un unbelievable. We, we used to play training games where we, everybody knows we, we played, uh, we squeezed the game. But we used to do work in training, on, even in training, squeezing the game. We used to put in offside, bring in offside in training. But we, we used wall players in it to keep the, keep the game going and keep the tempo up. Ali Mitchell, on the side, he was, he was either doing the press-ups or set-ups, and the ball used to be out there more time. He couldn't have done, he had to be doing something. It was unbelievable. It's unbelievable. That's a sweet guy. He still looks like a good player. So, oh, uh, so do you, by the way, but he's... But he, no, I couldn't play well, <laughs> <laughs> but, but he's, still, he's, he's oh, a good neck for 52 oh, years old. Oh, it's amazing. What you've mentioned there is, it's something that I think was very noticeable about that team, the offsides, yeah. the defensive structure. Yeah. And I think Kevin McGowan had said, he had, refreshing his own memory before we spoke, yeah. I think he said 27 goals conceded yeah. in the season were kind of around about Christmas. There was a challenge, there was a Kilmarnock challenge yeah, for the league. We, we played Celtic at Parkhead in the new games. And if we'd beat them, we went top of the league. And Coyce went through and hit the inside their post just before half time. And, if that, and I think we might have won the game. But they, I think they won here one nil or two one or something. So it was, but that was that one. Anyway, who knows? Well, who That's knows? history. But you'll think ah, that team from the nineteen sixties was so good. But when I think yeah. now of the team I first started watching in, in kind of nineteen ninety seven, the quality in that squad. Oh, it was absolutely. I mean, I watched for some reason. Uh, it was on YouTube. I was watching the game, the three 0 game at Ibrox, and honestly. Watching it, I'm thinking, maybe how good are they? And I never thought that at the time. But see, looking back at it, I mean, Andy McLaren, magnificent player. Now, Coca, see when he wanted to play, he could play. 
Really? But pfft. And Holt, he was just pouring up and didn't honestly. Hoodie was playing that game and ah, Hoodie was a good player. And yet he didn't play regularly. You know? And Durant was just magnificent. He was a player. He was a real footballer, Durant. But they were a good side. A really good side. Quite often a club, a provincial club, as Kilmarnock are, under Steve Clark, for example, yeah. there needed to be a significant mindset change, maybe, with the players to go from there yeah. to there. But there were a lot of strong personalities in, in that team that you coached, yeah. personalities. Th- th- there certainly was. And I, I, to be honest, I think it, it helps. See, when you've got players feel like Rangers are Celtic, I think that helps. I've got to be honest. You know, and the fans might not like you saying that, but it's a fact that they're used to winning. And that definitely helps. You know, even when they, see when they were under like Sir Tommy Burns when he was bringing in a lot of Celtic boys and that, again, they're used to win. That is a mindset, you know, so that def- it definitely helps and it helps the other players. Just making note there, you're talking Craig Patterson, Tommy Burns, Correct. George McCluskey, Correct. Um, yeah. Billy Stark, you mm-hmm. know, and that's so it's the same, the same pattern repeating itself. Exactly. So it's, you shouldn't have been, and I used to be, I used to be kind of, oh, you shouldn't even name it. But it's the mindset of them. They're winners. Get winners in your team. Even just thinking. There, now, now I'm thinking. Bobby. Yeah. Bobby was at Rangers. Correct. Gus. Correct. I don't think he played as much, Gus, but no, he was there. No, he was it's there. the mindset. It's the mindset. So and, and if you can get that into your club, be about winning, winning. And that's what they've got to get. When the opportunity to sign Ian Durant and Ali McCoyston in, in, yeah. in a different kind of way, but... Yeah. The player Ian Durant was, when that opportunity came up, what was Bobby's and, and or yours and Bobby's reaction to that possibility? Oh, I don't think Kamala would have signed that they both them if it hadn't been for Bobby. I think it was his connection to go to them side. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Bobby knew them personally. And I think it was Bobby that got them to sign. I don't think they'd have signed other than that. I'm I'm not saying Kamala didn't have the money. Or, or get the money to get them, but I think Bobby got that over the line by the personality and, and knowing them. Bobby Williamson, Jimmy Clark, Jerry McCabe. The coaching staff of 1997 to 2002 made an indelible mark on Kelly's history. But it could have been very different. I mean, the only reason I come in was that actually Jerry was coming in, but Jerry couldn't have come in. I was, a commu- I was working in the community at the time and Jim Stewart actually said that, he says, Clarkie, would, Clarkie's does a bit of coaching because I'd, I'd coached the youth before, before I went into the community. You know, I had been working in uh, the, the youth and then the community job come up and actually Bobby Fleet had, I had put in for the community job and uh, Alec White had got it. And then I'd, come, I'd been working in the youth and come in Bobby Fleet had become down the stair and he says, Are you still interested in that community job? And I'm like, huh? Because I like why you got it. And uh, I went, aye. He says, right, okay then. The next thing I knew, I've got the community job. So I had to get up the use. At that time, they, they wouldn't let you do the both, you see. So that's when Alan Robertson come in. and Because and Alan, Alan had left to go to Hamilton at the time. Uh, so... I went, I was working in the community and, and Bobby, Jerry couldn't come in, so I was in helping Bobby. And then the threes, Jerry come in like later, he come in for the Saturday, but couldn't come in during the week, so we're, the threes were putting 
when Jerry Cooney come in? Bobby told me, and I think from having watched a previous interview with you, I don't know if this is ever something you've discussed with Bobby, but he had said the reason that Jerry McCabe, or maybe Bobby was just telling me a story, I don't yep. know, but he had said the reason that Jerry McCabe couldn't initially sign that's was that he had taken the signing on fee right. from right. uh, a junior club. From a junior club, yeah. and he had bought Central Heaton or he bought Radiators or something. Someone, and, I can't remember what it was, but that's nice. And it just makes you think that that's. The destiny of, because as you say, yeah. it wasn't just Bobby, it wasn't just Jimmy, it was no. the, the trio. Yeah. Things could have been different. Correct. You don't get that Correct. person in, yeah. somebody else. That's... And to be fair to Bobby, because, I mean, I'm, I've got a community job and it's safe. I mean, community jobs there, I've got a job. And Bobby says to me, he says, look, he says, just keep your community job going. He says, we don't know where this is going to end up. He says, if we get relegated, he says, we're out the door. I says, can't, can't do that. I says, I'm either in or I'm out. I says, I've either got to go in all the way before we get right in. I says, right, I'll get a community job up and we'll just come in. And hey, it's not right that two years are in and your job's either going to be one way or another. And I'm just, oh, it's all right for me. I'll sit here, I've got my community job. Yeah. You can't do that. I says, can't do that. I says, right, I've got to be in or out. He says, no, don't be stupid. I says, no, I'm not be stupid. I says, well, I'm either in or out. But he was, he says, no, just keep your community job going. But luckily it worked out. It certainly did. But it was close. Because uh, Bobby, we'd been at a coaching course doing it Largs. Roy Aitken's got up in there. Whoever's taking it was asking about, uh, Roy gets up and stands and says, uh, and what about the uh, European stuff? You know? <laughs> Bobby says, don't you worry about European football, <laughs> Roy. So, of course, the last game we play Aberdeen, mm. and if Dave Peters were Beat us one in the playoffs. <laughs> was he giving you daggers? Oh dear, he was desperate to be us. And this is what happens because I'm always so interested in finding out the, the, the behind the scenes of it. There were several Aberdeen managers, Aberdeen specifically, several Aberdeen, and I don't like to make light of people losing their, their jobs, yeah, yeah. but I think two different, and um, Roy might have been one, Willie Miller was certainly another. Yeah, Ed Skogdor. That's it. Mm. Lost their jobs on yeah. the result, on, on the back of yeah. doing it at Rugby Park. Yeah. Not just Aberdeen though, talking the about... Dean Knight, we used to, but great runs against him. Is it too simple to say it was just a good squad that... We, that I think we had a good squad, yeah. Yeah. But, to be fair, we made mistakes like all people do. I mean, everybody talks about uh, recruitment. And I think and at that time, all clubs are doing it. They were signing too many players. Yeah, they were just, it was like in a scattergun approach at times. You know, you bring in, everybody's bringing in French players. Rather than going for quality, they're signing too many. Yeah. You know, and I think you've got to hold your hands up and say, yeah, it was too many rather than cutting. And, and, I think clubs are still doing that at times. You sign too many runs in right. Runs. We'll get you five. No, we'll just get one. Get one good one. Mm. Yeah. The team that the man that you inherited as a management team in 1996-97, there was a real good foundation there. Yes. Real good foundation. Yeah. But on the back of that, over those next two or three seasons, there were a handful of players who elevated it and that's something that Kevin McGowan said himself yeah. recently which is the, that little bit of kind of yeah. magic yeah. That, that elevated yeah. of those different players I won't name anybody because I don't want to influence you one way or the other yeah. but is there any player where you think 
that's the player. I'm talk, not talking once they started playing, yeah. but when you heard, yeah, we could possibly get them, or when you saw them in training for the first day, was there somebody who you thought, ooh, I'm really glad? I would say Durant. Durant was quality. Real quality. But it wasn't just quality on the park. It was great for the dressing room. McCoyce was the same. McCoyce was brilliant for the dressing room. He was always late for training, by the way. So he was always late. Dindaloo was wonderful. Great defender, so he was. To be fair, I think we helped him as well, you know, defensively. I think we worked on him, but made him, but he was a good player. Great left foot. He was good to have a good balance, you know, that's always good. McClam, people don't realise how good McClam was. People will never realise how good McClam was. I think Bobby did him well as well, but McClam didn't come out at a real time. What would it be about Andy McClam's game that you think maybe people didn't realise how good he was? What was he doing that you could see? Oh, McClam was just, he was up and down all day, but he had the ability to go, to go past people. And he would, honestly, he could, Andy could run all day. His fitness was amazing. And you think, I mean, everybody knows the problems he's had. I, I think Andy was amazing. I do. Yeah, he was a good guy, you know. He was so. By the way, the dressing room was brilliant. It was a great dressing room. Absolutely brilliant. The club that you rejoined in 1987-88? Yes. How was it different to the club that you had left? Well, I mean, it was a, when I left it, I mean, we were struggling anyway. So we were, I've got to be honest. When I rejoined, actually, I'm trying to think, after I broke my leg, I actually come back to help Rab Stewart with the reserves. And I was playing occasionally in reserves. And I actually got back in the first team because we were really struggling. I mean, I was, don't get me wrong, I wasn't that good. Uh, but I got back in the first team and I played something like between 16 20 games or something in the first team. When Jim Fleet became the manager, Jim was brilliant. He really got the community. I mean, he was brilliant and absolutely fantastic. And a lot of the crowd they're getting now is down to the work that he got in the community involved in, or the club got involved in the community anyway. I remember when I was working in the community side, I had to set some stuff up. You get the players, you got them going to schools in the area, and it was brilliant. I mean, I'm not saying the players thought it was brilliant, but <laughs> it was great for getting, honestly, I've got photos about some of the uh, players going in, Ali Mitchell and Bobby Geddes and stuff like that, going into the schools. There'll be kids going now because of these people going to schools, and that's what the problems have got today, to get the fans 20 years from now, because that was 20 years ago, you know what I mean? And that's what clubs have got to do. Kids don't want likes of me going to schools, they want the players going to schools. Because that gets kids to go and watch Commander. Because they're the heroes. I mean, I had players going to schools there, doing that way. Honestly, yeah. man, that was great. I can get down to kids' level, come on, really, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so, I, and I still, I still I do a wee bit of bonding. Under, because my, my, my grandson played there, right? But then he moved to Goldson, but I didn't want to leave Bonnet and the lots kind of thing. So it's, I don't take the team, but I've got them kind of help out with their coaching and stuff like that. I didn't want to just say, no, I'm away, my grandson's away, the time I think, you know. 
do they know and I don't mean this in a funny way but do they know that you're the coach who coached my grandson would probably tell him when he played there but my papa played you know what I mean I'm not even talking too much about you as the player I'm talking about you as the I'm not saying that yeah, the, the yeah. brains behind the operation, <laughs> but, but there's an element of you're the, the kind of the the tactical side of it. So I think you know that's a pretty good pretty good coup to get you to come along, and, and you're just and you're just putting out the cones. You should. <laughs> I've got one question to to finish with, Jimmy, and it's a it's not cheeky question but I mean it in a kind of a, a nice way but you had a I'm not making light of an injury is what I'm saying yeah you had 15 months out with a broken leg yes you come back yeah a lot of hard hard yards to get back to to being able to play a couple of games later you get quite a badly broken nose <laughs> at what point did you think I've had it did you, did you think is that balls did you think no this isn't for me anymore when Mr Rolson tried to straighten it <laughs> <laughs> do, do tell this is the is this the club club doctor it was the club doctor <laughs> I'll, I'll tell this story to a few people actually it was my second game back right so I played the other night my first game back is against Air United Rugby Park so it's fine the second game back is against Queen's Park Review it was against Lesser Hamden so I've jumped for a header I've got a bang in the nose yep. right so I come in at half time and I'm sitting next to Jimmy Hughes. You'll not remember Jimmy Hughes. Mm-hmm. Really talented wee player. Wasn't he quick? Left winger, but it was brilliant skills. Brilliant. So I turned around and I went and I said, Jimmy, is my nose broke? And he burst to go. <laughs> <laughs> my nose is a weird one. Anyway, so Ram Stewart's uh, manager, physio combined. So there's nothing they can do. So I just go, go out and play a second half. Because we didn't have any subs, so I play a second half, come back down the road, he takes me to see Mr. Rolson. Mr. Rolson takes me into his kitchen, sits me in the kitchen, wee kitchen chair. So I'm sitting there, and he's got his hand up one side of my nose, he goes, Oh, yes, definitely broken, definitely broken. But he doesn't, he didn't, I'm just sitting with my head back, he says, Lean your head back, Celine. And then all of a sudden he goes, Wah, wah, up. <laughs> and I'm doing tears of. Head between my knees, the tears blinding <laughs> and I'm oh. So he says, "Oh, I've not quite got it." <laughs> he says, "Just lean your head back." So this time I'm waiting. I'm <laughs> so honestly, I say, "My fingerprints are it's an old winded chair, and my fingerprints are still in bed at night." <laughs> so he whacks up again, <laughs> and then I hear these immortal words: "I don't think I'm going to get it." <laughs> so I'm going to go to the hospital. But he says, leave it for a week and go to the hostel and we'll straighten up. So I made an appointment. And of course, it just goes again, as you see. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But that, uh, that's, that, that, that's when I thought... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they freed me then in that seat. But I didn't, that's not fair. They, didn't, they offered me a contract and half my money. So I so tell the shop. <laughs> Huge thanks to Jimmy Clark, the tenacious midfielder who retains such enthusiasm for the game he has served so well. This episode was recorded in 2022, on the eve of the Kilmarnock Arbroath promotion face-off. Kelly Histories is a not-for-profit project made for the Kilmarnock FC Former Players Association. Find out more at www.kellyhistories.com 
Don't forget to follow on Twitter and Facebook at Kelly Histories. And leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. For a third season, huge thanks to the Kelly Trust for their sponsorship, covering all production costs. To find out more about the Trust and its relationship with Kilmarnock FC, visit www.thekillytrust.com. The theme music Clear Progress by scottholmesmusic.com is used under free Creative Commons license. I'm Gordon Gillen. See you next time.